Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Amen. We're talking about the greatest love of all this morning. In the book of Ephesians chapter 3, we have a prayer that Paul prayed. And in that prayer, there's some things I want to point out. But let's look at it in Ephesians chapter 3. For this cause I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. That was his prayer for the church at Ephesus that he would desire to be fulfilled in the lives of the people that he ministered to. Well, in that prayer, he prayed that the people would be rooted and grounded in the love of God. And then he went on to say that this love has breadth, length, depth, and height. I call that the endless boundaries of God's love or the boundless uh, love of God that we would be rooted and grounded in. That's for every one of us, not just them, but for each and every one of us as well. Well, before we actually look into those four dimensions that are endless of God's love, two things I want to point out. Notice he said that this is a love that passes knowledge. It is a love that is incomprehensible. Some other translations say it this way. It's too great to understand. Imagine that. It's too great to even understand. It's beyond our comprehension. It goes beyond anything we could possibly understand, and it transcends, beyond measurement, it transcends all human knowledge and understanding. So here's my question to us this morning. How do we understand something, he says, is too great to understand? How do we comprehend something, he says, is incomprehensible? Aren't you glad for faith? We know that faith works by love. And if faith works by love, then we need to be rooted and grounded in love. But this love, he says, is too great to understand. It's incomprehensible. So thank God that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we could have a revelation of this love within our hearts. And even though we may not understand certain things, we know it's true. The second thing I want to point out is he said, so that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. What is our end game as a believer? Don't we want to all be filled with all the fullness of God? Not just to have a miracle, not just to get a healing, not just to see this or that or the other thing. Paul said, my earnest, heartfelt desire was to be so consumed with God that He manifests Himself in my flesh, my mortal body. God wants us to be filled with all His fullness, but the only way we can be filled with all His fullness is to understand a love that's beyond our understanding. To comprehend a love that's incomprehensible. So how do we attempt to do that? Well, there's a companion scripture, I believe, that will help us understand how 
And you know the scripture very well. It's found in John's Gospel, chapter 3 and verse 16, and it starts with, which you know it, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There are the four endless or boundless dimensions of God's love revealed to us by Jesus Himself. For God so loved the world reveals to us the breath of God's love. How far-reaching is this love of God? It incorporates any person who ever walked on the planet, who is walking on the planet, who will ever walk on the planet, is the breath of God's love. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter whatever your affiliation might be. God loves the world, and that's global. He loves anyone in China, anyone in Mexico, anybody in Italy, anybody in Spain, anybody in the UK. He loves every person on the planet. And he loves the co-worker that you're working next to that you can't stand. <laughs> Did you know that? Mm-hmm. He truly does. Absolutely does. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But the breath of God's love incorporates or involves every kindred, every tongue, every people, every nation. That's why in Revelation chapter 5, what did he say? He's the worthy lamb that was slain to receive all this because he redeemed us to God by his blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. Every people group of the world he loves. The length of God's love is seen in the incarnation. So God so loved the world, that's his breath, that he gave his son, that is the incarnation. That is the length of God's love. To what length would you go to show your love for someone? To what length? Can you explain that? You see why this is inexplainable? You see why this is uh, uh, incomprehensible? Because, you know, the incarnation, which we'll talk about in just a moment also, involves God himself becoming a man. Figure that one out. The hypostatic union of deity and humanity in the person of Jesus Christ is the length of God's love. To what length would he go? There was no other way to do it, so he was willing to do it. The third thing is that we would not perish. Reveals to us the depth of God's love. What length would he go? The incarnation. What depth would he go? The crucifixion. And his being made sin for us who knew no sin. Reveals to us the depth of God's love. And then the height of God's love is seen in the resurrection. The resurrection is, he raised us up together to sit with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So if we're really a serious student of the word of God, and we truly want to be filled with all the fullness of God, then we'll get on our faces before God and say, show me this revelation of those four things. I want to love people of the world the way you love people of the world. I want to understand what it was that moved you from heaven to the earth to robe yourself in flesh and do what you did for me. And not just for me, but everybody in the world. I want to know what drove you to the cross. I want to have that revelation of this awesome love that you have. And finally, that you take me and raise me up together and sit with you in heavenly places. Even right now. We may, be here position, we may be here practically, but positionally, we're with him in high heavenly places right now. Yes. That's where we're at. So, in the Bible, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, anybody want to give a, the perfect Christmas gift this year? Anybody looking for the perfect Christmas gift this year? Let's look at this verse. 
thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. Jesus was given, and this gift that was given is too wonderful for words. I have other translations there for you. Indescribable, inexpressible, unspeakable, priceless, precious beyond words. No words could ever tell it. It leaves one speechless. Did you ever find that perfect gift for the one that you love? And when he or she opened up that gift, they were just speechless. Aren't you glad it wasn't the speech you heard wasn't, oh, another one of those. Aren't you glad that wasn't what you heard? <laughs> Amen. Well, when we look at the gift that God gave, it leaves us speechless. Think about it. What can you say? Wow. I'm worth that. Really? See, it didn't cost a million dollars. It cost a whole lot more than that. But this gift of Jesus leaves us speechless. It's indescribable, unexplainable. It's something that goes beyond words. We can't articulate it. It's the gift of Jesus as our Savior and Redeemer. The greatest gift you can ever give somebody is Jesus too. Not with just your words, but your life. The life that you live. When the life that you live shines a light upon their hearts and they see your good works and they come to Christ as a result of it, it's the greatest gift you can give anyone. Next, in the book of John, I'm sorry, in the book, yeah, John 15, this is from the Passion Translation. But before I go there, just a moment. Look at this verse in 1 Corinthians. I know it's not in your notes, but that's okay. Verses 6 through 8. You see, not only do we see this as a perfect gift, a gift that you can't describe, but do you know the devil never realized that God loved humanity this much? Let me show it to you. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world which come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Do you know what that verse is telling us? The devil himself didn't know how much God loved humanity, that God would be willing to sacrifice his own son to die in our place to demonstrate that love. That's how much God loves us. And the devil didn't know that God would love us that much. You know why? He wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory had he known it. Wow. Talk about a slap in his face. The wisdom of God was this, that God outwitted the devil himself by proving his love for us and sending his son for us. Now look at John's gospel. And this is from the Passion Translation of the Bible. For the greatest love of all is to love yourself. Did I misread that? It's not to love yourself? Oh, I would think of a song. 
The greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. You know that song that was written by Michael Masser and Linda Creed, sung by Whitney Houston, The Greatest Love of All, and some of the lyrics are there, is happening to me. I found the greatest love of all inside of me. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. Well, that's not true. We need to learn to love ourselves, but the greatest love of all is not found in learning to love yourself. The greatest love of all is found in what Jesus did in sacrificing his life for even his enemies and demonstrating a love that goes beyond human comprehension, beyond our understanding. It transcends our ability to know and understand. Look also in the book of Romans chapter 5, because here, again, the Passion Translation of the Bible makes it very clear. For when the time was right, the Anointed One came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save themselves. Now, who of us would dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing, notice you can understand this, for willing to die for a truly noble person, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. And there is still much more to say of this unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. So if while we were enemies, God truly reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more will we be rescued from sin's dominion and the wrath of God? What a translation of that verse. You might die for someone, maybe a child. But would you die for an enemy? Would you die for a criminal? We're talking about love that's incomprehensible. Love that goes beyond our understanding. Too great for us to understand. And this is the love that we need to understand in order to operate in this love of God. We've got to understand how much God loves us. Then we have to recognize that because He loves us so much, we need to love ourselves. Because He said, love others as I have loved you. But also, love others as you love yourself. And then we have to see the value of other people that are out there in the world so that we can love them the way God loves them. And that was his end game for all of us. That's the commandment of the New Testament. In, as far as our redemption is concerned, our value, our worth is not found in money. It's not found in silver. It's not found in gold. Your value, your worth is not found in how much you possess or what someone's willing to pay for you as far as silver and gold is concerned. When I first got saved, I heard a lot of preachers, and this is no criticism to anybody, and they would start out their prayer by saying, I'm so unworthy, Lord. And I could never understand it. You're so unworthy. Why are you so unworthy? Why do you view yourself so unworthy? And of course, they think they're being humble by saying that. All that does is shows that a person doesn't understand their worth or their value according to what God's word reveals to us. 
Your worth, your value is not found in what you think of yourself. It's not found in what someone else thinks of you. It's not found in what the devil thinks of you. It's found in what God thinks of you and what he was willing to pay for you to be reconciled to himself and have a right relationship with him. That is your value. Well, what is my worth? What is my value? Can it be measured in any way in the natural world? No, it can't. But God wants us to see our value and our worth according to what he chose to do to pay for us to have a right relationship with him. You know, someone once said this, a value of a thing is only what someone is willing to pay for it. A worth of a thing, the worth of whatever, is only what a person is willing to pay for it. I remember when I lived downtown in Midland and someone said to me, you can't sell that house for that kind of money. It's not worth it. It may be worth it as far as uh, the house is concerned, but not in this economy and not in this location. You're not going to get it. I said, really? He said, yeah, you're not going to get it. We've had houses on the market for two years that no one's going to pay because it's not worth it in this economy and also here in this location. What do they say about real estate? Location, 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 and all that. And I said to the agent, okay, I'm asking full price for it. You're not going to get it. You're just going to waste our time. I said, I'm asking full price for it. He signed the papers and walked off. What he didn't know, I did. (laughs) I got my Bible and I said, did you hear what he said, Lord? I'm going to walk around this house and I'm loosing my angels, releasing them to go and find someone willing to pay the full price for my house. As a matter of fact, I received that person and I received the household and I thank you that it's sold in Jesus' name. And every day he just started thanking the Lord. Within 30 days, a buyer came. He called me up and said, came over to the house and said, and they're willing to offer you the full price for the house. You don't have to come down one penny. They were willing to pay for it. So you see, it may not have been worth as far as he was concerned in that economy and maybe in that location. But someone was willing to pay that price for it. Well, when it comes to our redemption, comes to our lives, guess what? You're only willing what someone is wanting. You're only worth as worthy as, and your value is as what someone is willing to pay for you. Well, look at First Peter chapter one, verse eighteen and nineteen. Our value may not be in silver and gold, but a price was paid for us to have a right relationship with God. A price was paid for us to be reconciled to God. And what is it? For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Your value, your worth, when someone says, I'm not worthy, wait a minute. You're not? What's your value? Do you understand your value? Well, who am I? And that's why we've got young people out there today. They have no idea what their value is and what their worth is. They have no idea how much God cares about them and how much they're loved. All they see is this natural world that they live in or they hear the voice of the enemy telling them they're not worth anything. But in actuality, they're worth more than they could ever imagine or comprehend. I want you to know that way back in Bible days, buying and selling slaves was a major business in the Roman Empire. Major You'd have to have someone come to the, let's say, the free market or slave market, and they would try to find someone that they could possibly buy or purchase. But 
in order for them to do so, they had to meet the price. And they called that either a ransom or a redemption price. And unless they paid the price, of course, then the slave was still a slave and he wasn't free to serve him, whatever. Once you did provide, let's say, the money and then you purchased this person's freedom for yourself or also maybe for them, just let them go. It didn't matter. You had to provide for them a certificate to let everybody know that they have been released. Bought, paid for, and released. I want you to know something. If you're sitting out there with your Bible, you have a certificate in your hand. And that certificate in your hand tells you that you have been bought. You have been purchased. The price was paid. You're no longer a slave. You've been liberated by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the devil has no hold on you whatsoever any longer. He cannot dominate your life. He cannot in any way rule your life because you have documentation that says who the Son sets free is free indeed. Guess what? You've been set free indeed. In New Testament times, it was like this. If a purchaser wanted to purchase a slave, he would go to the slave market. He would look around, browse around, and find a slave that maybe was appealing to him. And he would think, okay, that one over there. Once that person's pointed out, he is allowed now to inspect this slave to find out what his condition is. Almost like test driving a car you want to buy. Maybe a used car, you're going to take it down the road, go up a hill somewhere, whatever, just to find out what it runs like. This also included in this inspection, abusing him or beating him to see how he responds to abuse. It would also include opening up his mouth, looking at his teeth to find out what his true physical condition was. Once he decided, I want that person as my slave, then he would go on the auction block. Once he got on the auction block, the auctioneer drove the price up, pushed it higher and higher, almost to an unreasonable amount, because they wanted to get as much money as they possibly could. And they figured, I got him. He wants to buy this slave. He's going to do it. And typically they did. They spent an exorbitant amount of money to purchase that slave. Well, look at uh, Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. Who gave himself, this is Jesus, that he might redeem. Everybody say redeem. It's the Greek word lutro. Redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. The very fact that Paul used that word lutro, that redeem word, pay a ransom. He is basically saying that the work of Christ in redemption is a work where Jesus came into the slave market of sin for the purpose of finding someone that he wanted to free. That's the world. Do you remember Luke 19.10 that says, I came, what did he come for? To seek and save the lost? So here he is, a purchaser who wants to purchase a slave. Secondly, it teaches us that Jesus wasn't just window shopping or browsing. He was coming to complete the purchase. The third thing it tells us is that he was willing to pay whatever amount that needed to be paid to purchase the freedom 
of an individual. And it concludes by saying that Jesus liberated every single one of us by paying the highest price that anyone has ever paid for anyone or anything. In his redemptive work, Jesus entered the slave market of sin with the intention of paying the price, no matter how high it was, to liberate humanity from the dominion of darkness, sin, and death. And he willingly laid down his life in order to make the purchase. So you could say that that verse there in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 says that Jesus himself gave himself for us that he might purchase us out of the slave market of sin so that we could become his own property and possession. Remember the Bible teaches us you belong to another. You belong to Christ. That's not just a fancy saying. He bought us with his own blood. He purchased us out of an act of love. And your value and your worth is not seen in any amount of silver and gold this world has to offer. You see, this love is so incomprehensible. This love goes beyond human scope. Why? Because God, the second person of deity. Now, you've got to imagine this. The second person of deity. And think about this as I say this. Lucifer, who was the worship leader there in the heavenlies, who worshiped before the throne, knowing God the Father, knowing God the Son, knowing God the Holy Ghost, actually thought that he could not love mankind that much that he would do such a thing. Well, guess what? In the face of it all, he found out that God saw your value and your worth so much, so high, that he was willing to lay down his life, the life of his son, to buy you back. In the face of all the kingdom of darkness, he demonstrated this awesome love for all humanity. So we are now his property, and he was willing to pay the ransom that he paid for us. Why? What's the motive? God so loved the world. The greatest love ever displayed, ever demonstrated, was God becoming a man in the person of Jesus Christ to begin the process of redemption. And you know what? You're the object of that. He came for you. Well, look at this verse in John's, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12. This was the price that was paid. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, obtaining, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Do you want to know when your redemption was finalized? It's when he walked into the holy place with his blood and obtained it. Eternal redemption for every single one of us. So if you can only imagine this, if you go back to the slave market, where the fellow comes with whatever he, let's say he agreed upon to pay for the slave, and he walks in and says, here it is. Here's the money. Here's the silver. Here's the gold. Here's the feed. Here's the wheat. Here's the barley. Whatever it is that it took, here it is. And he presents it to the slave owner, and then he takes his slave. Well, guess what? Jesus walked 
into the high court of heaven. He didn't have barley. He didn't have wheat. He didn't have silver. He didn't have gold. None of those things did he bring with him. He didn't bring real estate. Mm -mm, Nothing like that. He brought his blood. And presented it to the Father at the throne. And as he gave it and cleansed the heavenly utensils of worship, he obtained eternal redemption for every single one of us. Your value and your worth. If I stood there and said, can I give a million dollars for her or for him? No. Two million dollars. No. Come on, Lord. Three million dollars. Come on, you're pushing. I don't have $10 million. I don't have $20 million. You want what? I, I don't have a billion dollars. I don't have $10 billion. You mean to tell, you, tell me if, if I gave you the, all the amount of wealth and worth in, in the world and offered it to you for this one person, it wouldn't pay the ransom? No. You're not worth all the money in the world. You're worth more than that. A lot more than that. You're worth the blood of the Son of the living God. That's your value. That's your worth. Now look at John's Gospel, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not made anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth into darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lights every man that comes into the world. He was in the world. Here are his credentials. And the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, the Jews, and his own received him not, but as many as received him, Jew or Gentile. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word that created the world was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What is he saying in those words? The God of creation who made heaven and earth and sea and everything that is in it. If you could envision this. And if you can envision Lucifer up there leading worship and honoring him and declaring that he is holy and that he is worthy. If you can see all this, who created all this. And then saying, Ah, uh, Second person of deity, would you mind leaving here, robing yourself in flesh and going to the earth and becoming a man to redeem these people? Because I love them so much. And the second person of deity, who we know is Christ now, says, I'll go. Now comprehend this. Comprehend the fact that the heavens can't contain him. That the universe can't contain him. That he himself said, who can build a house to house me or provide a resting place for me? Who could possibly do that? Nobody can. 
But this great, vast God that created this entire universe leaves the glory world, enters into the womb of a woman, and robes himself in flesh for you. Can you comprehend that? Heaven is his throne. The earth is his footstool. That's pretty big. But he can fit in the womb of a woman? Wow. Look at John 13. Wow. That's amazing. And he would be willing to do it? It's beyond comprehension. A new commandment I'm giving you. With this as a backdrop, I want us to hear, really hear what he's saying. That you love one another as I have loved you. He raised the bar from the Old Testament. The Old Testament says, love others as you love yourself. He raises the bar and says, you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have loved one to another. You see, we were slaves in the slave market of sin. God so loved us that he didn't want us to be left that way and spend an eternity in the lake of fire and be exposed to suffering for the rest of our existence. So he sends his son into the slave market of sin who says, I am willing to pay the price to redeem them and reconcile them back to God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he, he is tempted and tried, you could say, of the enemy, and probably just overwhelmed with all of what he had to go through because he knew the price he would have to pay when he was made sin for us at the rock in the garden where he was sweating as, sweating as if it were drops of blood. He rose up and said, not my will be done, but thine will be done. I am willing to pay your price. I am willing to do what it takes. I don't ever want to hear someone say, I'm not worthy ever again. When God Almighty says, you're so worthy and you're so valuable to me that I sent my son to robe himself in flesh and to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself, to pay your ransom. It starts with the incarnation motivated by the love of God. And if you're ready for this, it was the blood of Jesus, but now that we know the price that was paid, you know what God wants us to do? He wants us to see our value in His eyes. He wants us to, us to start seeing ourselves as that valuable and that's our worth? That you were willing to pay that price for me? Because you see, faith works by love. And when I know He loves me that much, it really takes my faith to a high level, but don't stop there. Secondly, he says, now love yourself with the same kind of love. Understanding my love for you, now you can really love who you are. Don't look in that mirror and look at your inabilities. Don't look at that mirror and look at your faults and your shortcomings and your failures. You look in that mirror and you recognize the fact that someone loves you that much that he did that for you. You are of great value and of great worth. When Jesus said... God knows a bird that falls to the ground in death. And how much more valuable are you than a bird? 
Imagine that. He knows one bird that falls to the ground. But he also says, I know every hair on your head because I've numbered them all. I know what number is still there and I know the number that fell out. So he knows them all. Your value and your worth is found in the price that was paid for your redemption. You should see yourself as valuable and worthy because he paid that price for your redemption. But thirdly, and this is the bottom line, are are we ready for it? Are we mature enough for it? Then he says, I want you to look. The breadth of God's love encompasses the entire world globally. I want you to see all humanity as I see them. I want you to love them as I have loved you. Are you ready for the challenge if faith works by love? That means I see my worth and value in Christ and the price that was paid for my redemption. Secondly, I see that I, that, that's how much he loves me. And now I see that I accept that as my worth. Stop walking around saying I'm not worth it. <clears throat> I'm not worthy. And don't listen to somebody else tell you you're not worth it. Or you're not worthy. You are worth it. And you are worthy. And you have great value. Displayed, demonstrated by the precious blood of Jesus Christ that speaks better things than that of Abel's. But finally, the great challenge. The great challenge is this. Do you see that person, that co-worker we talked about earlier? Through the eyes of love? Do you see his or her value, his or her worth through the eyes of love? Would you put that same price tag on that person? Next to you that you work with, your family member, whoever it might be. Recognizing they're worth the blood of Jesus. God sees them that way. They might be a a murderer. They might be a thief. The list goes on and on. Who's perfect in the sight of God? Doesn't matter who we are. Do we see people that way? God wants us to see people that way. Next time you're tempted to talk about someone, think about that just for a moment. Wow. God loves that person so much that he paid that price for that person. The value that he places on that person's life is beyond my comprehension. Let's stand together while I complete this. The value he places on that life goes beyond my comprehension. I cannot understand it. It's too great for me to understand. To comprehend it is beyond my ability. It's inexpressible, indescribable, too beyond words to express. I can't articulate it. I have to accept it by faith that I'm that valuable to God. See yourself that way.